0: God, please forgive me for hiding my sister's favorite doll, and please don't tell her where it is. Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, God. By the way, I'm sorry if you choose on your sandals. Dear God, are you a ninja? Is that why we can't see you? And this one, dear God, thank you for the baby brothers, baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. And this one, dear God, I went, to, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay with you? And here's the last, dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. As we begin this adventure together, it's very important that we focus on something together. And this is a foundational statement that we're going to explore this morning. What you believe about God Shapes everything in your life, including how you pray. Nothing influences your life more than how you view God. And many people have misconceptions about God. Pastor Rick Warren developed this list of ways that people view God. And I'd like to share some of those observations with you. First, there is the crouching tiger God, ready to pounce on you when you do the wrong thing. Then there's the unpredictable God who's moody, And changes his mind all the time. Some people think of God as a cosmic cop whose goal is to make sure that you stay in line and follow all the rules. And then there's the dictator God, always demanding more and more. And no matter what you do, it's never enough. Or the Santa Claus God. You know, he's making a list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's... Naughty or nice. And here's one of my favorites. It's called the Plato God. The Plato God. You can make him into any form you want. You know, people say, I think God is like this or I think God is like that. But what you think or what I think God is like really doesn't matter, does it? What we need to know is, what is God really like? And how does God reveal himself to us in this book that we call the Bible? Christian writer A.W. Tozer said this. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. And that is certainly true, especially when it comes to prayer. You know, if you see God as this stern dictator, this cosmic cop, then you see prayer really as a duty, something you have to do, something you're expected to do, something that you feel guilty for not doing. Or if you see God as this person who's just, at a distance, watching your life, not not interested in the details of what's going on, then really, why pray at all? But if you see God as a good, good father, like we just sang this morning, if you see God as somebody who loves his children, it makes all the difference in the world when it comes to how you pray. And there's one foundational truth from the Bible that deeply affects how we pray. Three words that we're going to focus on this morning. God is God is good and this is what the Bible tells us about God. The Lord is always good. He is always loving and kind and his faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. Church, listen carefully. The basis for all prayer is the goodness of God. Let me say that again, the basis for all of our prayers is the goodness of God. Because if God is not good, why pray in the first place? And consider this, people often ask, you know, why why is there evil in the world? Well, I think the Bible gives us a fairly straightforward answer. It's because God created people with free will and we make bad choices. And because of those choices, evil and pain and suffering has come into our world. But there's another important question to consider. Why is there good in the world? I mean, if human beings really are the the product of evolutionary forces, if there's this Darwinian dog-eat-dog situation going on in the world, why is there any good at all? The answer is because God is good, and we've been made in his image. So any good that we see in this world is ultimately a reflection of the goodness of God. So, really, what difference does it make that God is good? How does that change what we believe and how we pray and how we live. Well, this morning I want to point out three life-changing realities about the goodness of God. And here is the first. Because God is always good, God has good plans for your life. God has good plans for your life. Look at this verse from the book of Jeremiah. It's God speaking to his people. I know what I've planned for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you. Not plans to hurt you. My plans will give you hope. And what kind of future? A good future. And then this verse, which is one of the most quoted verses in the entire Bible, Romans 8.28. We know that God causes how much? Everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, church, listen up because I really want you to get this. This is not a promise for everybody on the planet. Everything is not working together for good for everyone. This is a promise for people who love God and are called according to his purpose. This is a promise for God's sons and daughters. This is a promise for Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. God at this very moment is inviting people to become a part of his family. And when you accept that invitation, that means now God has adopted you as his son, as his daughter, and you have a good, good father who has good plans and a good purpose for you. But this morning, I want us to do this. I want us to to be real, to be honest. If you're a Christian this morning, here's an important question. Does it always look like God has good plans for you? What would you say if you answer that honestly? Yeah, I, I would answer the same way. No, it doesn't look like it. Consider the story of Joseph. Some of you know the story in Genesis of this young man named Joseph. He is hated by his brothers because he's their father's favorite son. And so one of the brothers wants to kill him, but they decide to throw him in this deep well and they sell him to this traveling caravan. Now, if you look at Joseph's life at that point, would you say, boy, God has a good plan for Joseph's life. mm And then this man named Potiphar buys Joseph as a slave. He gets to Egypt. This guy buys him, puts him in charge of his entire household. And at that point, you think, well, maybe things are getting back on track. You know, maybe God does have good plans for Joseph and things are working out. Well, the next chapter in the story tells us that this man's wife has eyes for Joseph. And when Joseph says, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. I want to honor my God. She says, hey, hey, honey, Joseph tried to rape me. And then Joseph he's sentenced to prison. Now, does that look like there's a good plan for his life? No, absolutely not. But is it God still at work? Absolutely. Because as you read the rest of the story, Joseph is promoted and promoted, and he winds up being second in charge as a government official, second to Pharaoh. And then there's this famine that hits, and through his wise planning, he stockpiles all of this food, and other people from other nations come to get food. And guess who shows up? His brothers, Because they're hungry, and they end up in front of the brother they betrayed. Now, what does Joseph say to his brothers when he finally confronts them? This is such an important thing for us to understand. He says, your plan was to hurt me. But God turned your evil plan into a good plan to save the lives of many people. If you're a Christian this morning, do you really believe, really believe, that God has good plans for your life. I'm so thankful that God put the story of Joseph in the Bible because, you know, there are times when we look at the circumstances of our lives and we wonder, you know, God, do you really have a good plan? Because right now, it doesn't look like it. When you lose the job, when you lose your business, when you lose your health, when the person you love the most walks out of your life, Does God still have a good plan for you? Well, the overwhelming answer from this book is what? Yes, he does. Friends, listen, we live in a broken world. We get broken bodies, we get broken minds, we get broken hearts, we have broken dreams, but I'll tell you something that is not broken and never will be, the promises of God. And God has promised to work out his purpose for us. And here's the deal, even in the middle of all this chaos, in the middle of all this brokenness, in a way that we fully cannot and do not understand, God is at work accomplishing his purpose, not just for our good, but for his glory. And realize that sometimes when you suffer, God not only uses your pain to benefit you, he uses your pain to benefit others. When I had surgery a couple of months ago, and ended up with a paralyzed right hand, I continued to believe that God is good. And I continued to pray that God would accomplish his purpose in my life. And God has done exactly that. I mean, God has deepened my dependence on him. Um, God has given me an incredible number of opportunities for spiritual conversations with nurses and doctors and physical therapists and patients. God has given me a deeper sensitivity for people in our church family who are going through challenges in their lives. In short, God has honored his promise and he's working out his plan for me. And church, let me say this. I am so thankful to you for your faithful prayers. I went to the hand surgeon uh, Monday of last week and because of the remarkable progress that I've made, he said, hey, Dudley, you don't need any more surgery, which was really, really great news. Yeah, thanks. Thank, thanks to God. He said, however, it could be another 12 months before you fully regain the use of your hand. And it was so interesting because I was sitting next to Chris and we looked at each other and I could tell what she was thinking. We know who's in charge of this timeline. It's not this physician, it's that physician. And that is certainly true. And, and I wanted to share this with you too because it was so encouraging. A few weeks ago, I had these um, nerve conduction studies done. And the results were that I had no nerve impulses to extend these three fingers, so they just wouldn't move. And then, you know, I'd ask people to pray, and it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and I was doing this. And I thought I was dreaming, honestly. So I got up out of bed, make sure I'm fully awake, went to the bathroom mirror, and said, Oh, whoa, it's, it's working. And then the next day, I go to physical therapy, and the physical therapist was just amazed. She said, I have never seen anything like this. I can't explain it. And then she stopped for a moment, and she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know what's going on here. You're a pastor. You have a direct line to God. (laughs) The truth is, we all have a direct line to God, don't we? And that direct line is called what? Prayer. And we can come to God and remember, hey, he's really a good, good father who has good plans for our lives. And when we do that, when we remember who God is, it enables us to live with joy even when life is hard. And there's a great verse that reminds us of that. It's in Romans. It says, So we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they are what? They're good for us. They can help us Learn patient endurance. See, the more you trust in the goodness of God, the more joy you're going to have in your life because joy doesn't depend on what you're going through. Joy depends on what you believe. You know, for example, you can take two people that are going through exactly the same thing, and one person is miserable, one person is devastated by their circumstances, and the other person is really okay. In fact, they're more than okay. They're at peace. They actually have joy. Why? Because they believe there's a good, good God who has a good purpose for my life. And what is that purpose exactly? Well, bottom line is this. God's working to make us more like his son Jesus. God is working to develop our character. And here's the hard truth. God is more interested in our character than he is in making us comfortable. Do you realize that? I mean, listen, you're not taking your lazy boy recliner to heaven. Newsflash. You're not taking your car. You're not taking your computer. You're not taking your cash. But you are taking your character. And what God is up to while you're here on earth is allowing things to come into your life and my life that will do what? Shape our character so that we are more and more like Jesus. Which is really just another way of saying that everything God does in your life, He does for your good. Why? Three... Three words. Because God is good. Now here's something else that I want us to see about the goodness of God, and this is on your outline. Because God is always good, God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. You know, I'm so thankful this is true because I know that if God gave me what I deserve, I would not be here this morning. And neither would you. Look at this verse. It says, He, God, does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And notice this statement. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Now that is an absolutely staggering statement. I think I've explained this to you one time before, but let me try again. Imagine that I have a globe, okay? Are you imagining a globe right now? Okay, I've got a a globe. Here's the earth. Now, we're in Florida. If we start heading north, where will we get eventually? To the top of the globe. What's that point on the globe called? North Pole, very important place for kids in December, okay? Now, if we keep going, what direction are we going to be heading in? South. And when we get to the bottom of the globe, what point will we arrive at? The South Pole, if we keep going, what direction are we going now? North again. But what about this? What if I go to the equator and I start traveling east? When will I ever begin going west? What's the answer? Never. Never. What if I start going west? When will I ever start going east? Never. Do you see what God is saying? There is an infinite distance between east and west. When I forgive you, you are completely forgiven. Why? Because God is willing not to give us what we deserve, but to give us what we need. You may know the story of King David in the Old Testament. There's a time when this man, who was called a man after God's own heart, had this huge moral failure. He committed adultery. And then to cover it up, he had this woman's husband murdered. I mean, those are some pretty serious sins, wouldn't you say? Now, does David, King David, does he deserve God to forgive him? Does he deserve God's mercy? Does he deserve God's justice? Well, absolutely, because justice is getting what you deserve. But this is interesting. When he prays, because King David knows that God is good, he actually asks for mercy. This is in Psalm 51. He says, God, in your goodness... Have mercy on me. Now, here's a really important truth. God forgives you not because you are good. God forgives you because he is good. And God not only forgives you, he actually welcomes you back. Think about this. Anybody here ever offend anybody else? You can raise your hand. Hurt somebody, sin against somebody. Do they typically just say, oh, it's no big deal? Do they typically just welcome you back into open arms? No. No. God's not like that. God is willing to forgive and willing to welcome us back. And you know, over the years that I've been a pastor, I've heard people say to me, you know, Pastor Dudley, after what I've done, God could never forgive me. And maybe this morning you relate to that. You struggle with really accepting the forgiveness of God, and so you have a hard time forgiving yourself. Listen, God is good. And God is willing to forgive you when you humbly come to him and ask for forgiveness. When you turn away from your sin and turn toward God, he welcomes you back. And the question is, well, how can God do that? Because we know he can't just look the other way. We know that sin is serious. And the simple answer is this, because of the gospel. Now, here at our church, we often talk about the bad news and the good news. And I want you to do something. Would you look at your outline this morning? Can we just read the second point? Together, it says, Because God is good, God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. Let's say that together. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Because God is always good, God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. Okay, this time read it like you mean it. This is incredible. Let's read it together. Ready? Like we mean it? All right. Because God is always good, God gives you what you need. Not what you deserve. And this is what the bad news and good news is all about. The bad news is about what we deserve. Because the Bible says we come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God's purpose and plan. God says, hey, love me more than anything else. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who does that perfectly? Nobody. Nobody ever has. And the Bible says our failure to do that, our sin separates us from God because God is holy. And God is also just, which means he's going to punish every sin we've ever committed. So is that bad news? Yeah. And it gets even worse because we can't rescue ourselves. But because God is good, God makes a way to give us not what we deserve, but what we need. And listen, here's what we need. We need forgiveness and we need a new life. And that's what Jesus makes possible. Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, comes to our world. He lives a perfect life. He allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And listen, church, every time you see a cross on a church wall or a cross around your neck or somebody else's neck or on the side of a hospital, remember this. The cross is a reminder that God is what? He's good. good. God is good because he made a way for us to be forgiven. Because God is good, he's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish Jesus instead of us. Because God is good, he allows Jesus to pay for our sins and, and Jesus dies and he comes back to life. And he says, hey, I've made a way for you to be forgiven. I've made a way for you to have a life of purpose. And here's what I want you to see. God has called you to an incredible purpose and he has promised to give you everything you need to accomplish that purpose. Jesus has made it possible for you to actually come to the throne of God and ask God for what you need. And if there's anybody who understands what we need, it's Jesus. Look at this verse from Hebrews. It says this. It says, Jesus understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly with confidence. Let that sink in for a moment. This is how God says we should come boldly with confidence to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find the grace to help us when we what? When we need it. Now listen church, this morning I don't want to just stand up here and talk to you about prayer. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. So I want to encourage you to do this right now. Think about what you need from God. What's the most important thing that you need from a God who loves you? A good, good Father. You know, maybe this morning it's very practical. You need a job. Maybe this this morning is something in a relationship where your heart has been really hurt. And you would say, God, I need you to help me to forgive this person. Or maybe you've hurt the heart of God and you need God's forgiveness. Maybe what you need most is just to be reminded that God really loves you and that he's in charge of your life. Would you do this? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a deep breath and let it out? Think about what you need from God right now. Remember that God is good. Remember that he invites you to come to him. So, so do that. Come to the throne of our gracious God and tell him what you need. Father, we believe that you really are good this morning. And we believe that you have good plans for your sons and daughters. So Father, I pray that you would hear our prayers right now, the prayers that have been offered for what we need from you. And God, may your answer deepen our faith and draw our heart closer to yours. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that brings us to the last thing that I want us to see this morning. Because God is always good, God does not say yes to every request. Now, if you're a parent, here's a question. Do you always say yes when your children ask you for something? Shake your head with the answer. What's the answer, parents? No. Now, why do you sometimes say no to the request from your kids? Because you're mean, okay? (laughs) Okay. I may have misheard that, I'm not sure. Okay, what are some other reasons? That could be a reason, it's true. Okay, some people think about God that way, don't they? He said no because he's mean. All right, what are some reasons that parents would not say yes to every request? Okay, it's not good for them, all right? The bottom line is really this, and as parents, we know this. We love our kids. We want what's best for our kids. We, We wouldn't want to give them something that would be bad for them or hurt them. Now, why do you think God says no to some of our requests? Same reason, right? Because he loves us. He wants our best. He doesn't want to give us something that would hurt us or be bad for us. What I want to do, church, right now is is just walk through some, some answers that God gives to prayer. Now, this is not entirely original or new. It's just a framework for understanding God's responses. And, of course, there's a lot more to prayer than just asking God for things. I mean, there's praise and there's confession. There's other things. But let's just walk through this. So there's four basic responses to prayer requests. What's the first? We just talked about it. No, absolutely not. Sometimes you can almost hear God saying, are you kidding me? Now, why is it that God says no? Because He loves us, because He wants what's best for us. Think about how many people pray to God to win the lottery. He says no a lot, right? Why is that? Because it's not good for us. So many times people win and it just destroys their lives. Or what about this? You really want this job and you go for the job interview and, and you think it went great and you pray, God, God, I really want this job. And God says, nope. Why would God do that? Because that job's not good for you. It's not his best. He has another plan. And the question is, are you going to trust God? Are you going to go, okay, I, I get it. I trust your wisdom. So what's the first response we can have? No. Here's the second. Not yet. Not yet. You know, you you ask God for something and God goes, you know, that's a really good request. But the timing isn't right. Now, there's a big difference between no and not yet. And it takes maturity to know the difference. Think about kids. If you're a parent and your child asks you for something and you say, not yet, what do they actually hear? They hear no. And sometimes they just kind of go off the deep end, right? Mommy said no. No, I said not yet. It takes maturity to know the difference between no and not yet. And this is true in our relationship with God. There are times when God says, listen, I want to give you that, but not yet. So trust me and wait on my answer. Now, there's a third way that God answers prayer. You may pray and ask God for something, and it's a good request, and and God is willing to give it to you, but you're not mature enough to handle the answer. You know, for example, you might be praying for a, a leadership role And God says, well, I'd like you to have that, but you need to grow up first. I mean, think about a little kid. If you take a two-year-old child and you give them some travel luggage and say, hey, take that inside the airport, they can't do it. Why? They're not strong enough to handle it. Someday they will be. And God looks at us that way, too. He knows the future. He knows how we're going to grow spiritually. And God may say, you know what? When you're able, I will grant that request. But you're not. Mature enough right now. And then there's the times, this is the fourth time, fourth thing, when when God says, that's a good request and the timing is right and you're mature enough for it. So God says what? Yes, yes. And see, the bottom line is this. The Bible says that God is a good, good father. He's good because he's wise. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. He knows when to say no because something will hurt us or be bad for us. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. This is a a classic passage on prayer from Luke chapter 11. Look at this. Well, can we advance that slide? There we go. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now here's something to think about. Sometimes we don't even realize what we're asking for. There's a story in the Bible about two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, and their mom actually comes to Jesus and says, Hey Jesus, I have a request. Jesus, when you enter your kingdom, hey, my boys, they have a lot of skills and gifts and abilities. Would you do this? And this is a paraphrase, of course. Uh, Would you put them... Um, I guess, as vice presidents in your organization. You know, one can sit on your left hand and one on your right hand. And what does Jesus say? You don't realize what you're asking for. You just don't understand. Your perspective is so limited. You don't see what I see. And that's so true of us. Sometimes we ask things from God and we have no idea what we're really asking for. The question is, do we really believe that God is good? That he will give us what is in our best interest to accomplish his purpose for our lives? You know, when God says no to that engagement, when God says not yet to that promotion, when God says, you need to grow up before I give you that much responsibility, are we willing to trust God? Do we still believe that he's good? I was reading a a message this week by Pastor Rick Warren And he was talking about his own prayer life and and how he's prayed really, really hard and the kinds of answers that he's gotten from God. He talked about a time at Saddleback Church, they were launching this international initiative called the Peace Plan. And that same month, his wife Kay was diagnosed with breast cancer. And he says, I prayed and prayed and prayed. I, I wanted Kay to get well. And she went through this chemotherapy and it was awful. And he poses this question. When your wife has breast cancer, is God still good? And in that same message, he talked about his youngest son who had battled mental illness for many years. And, and Pastor Rick said, you know, I prayed every single day for my son. I prayed that God would heal him. I prayed that he would get better, that he would get well. And one day he took his life. And he posed this question. When your son commits suicide, is God still good? Friends, we live in a world where things are not the way they're supposed to be. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, there was a curse that fell on all of humanity, including us. But one day that curse is going to be reversed. One day Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to make all things new. But how do we live this day? I mean, do we really believe that God is good and that God is working out a good plan for our lives despite all evidence to the contrary. We had a men's retreat on Friday and Saturday of this week and we had a prayer time yesterday where guys could come early and and just get together and pray. And that was such a powerful and moving time. I, I remember when we first started, I, I looked up and there were 12 guys in the room. And I thought, wow, this is kind of where Jesus started with 12 disciples. And other guys came in and, and we had different stations where we were praying that Pastor Phil had set up. And, and I remember I was at, at one of the stations and I was just looking at the guys in the room and praying for each one of them and for their families. And, and as I did that, I had such a strong sense that God was just there. And I'm not somebody um, who's openly emotional. But I started to cry. Because there was such a a sense of God's presence and God's power that that men were being honest and calling out to God. And I could sense that. And I remember last night, we were wrapping up the, the retreat time, and I was talking to the men about This idea that, you know, I've reached a certain point in my life and I realize there are fewer days ahead than there are behind. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And because of that, I want to make every day count. I want to live out God's purposes for me. And you see, that's true for every one of us, isn't it? We don't know how many days God has given us. Could be a day, could be a decade. We just don't know. And I was reminded of that last night because I left the retreat and I'm driving home. I'm almost home. And out of nowhere, at a high rate of speed, an SUV just pulls right in front of me, blows through a stop sign. And our vehicles collide. And this person just leaves the scene. And so I was really thankful. You know, I have some aches and pains, but nothing major. And so I'm talking to the police officer and he's taking the report. And he says, well, Mr. Hodges, I'm really glad that you're Okay. But I had a, a call like this just a few days ago, same kind of situation, where the guy driving your car was killed. And I thought, a few seconds, milliseconds, either way, the outcome could have been very different. And I went home and you know, I had called Chris and said, hey, I'm gonna be a little late, um, but I should be there soon. I got home and it was so interesting. She had just finished a, a post on Facebook about 40 days of prayer, and she said, you know, I was just writing that that we're in a battle. And isn't that true, church? We're in a battle. And we need to make every day count. And so I want to ask you this. We've got 40 days of prayer ahead of us. What do you want to see God do in your life? Because I'll tell you this, you have a choice to make. Some of you are already in a small group. Some of you are ready to engage. Some of you are sitting on the sidelines right now and you're going to watch this happen. And you'll nod your head and go, oh yeah, this is good, 40 days of prayer. But it really won't change you. It really won't change your life because you're not going to engage. So listen, as your pastor, please, make these days count. Get off the sidelines. This is really, really important. Prayer connects us to the heart and the power of God. And through prayer, he really does change us. He changes our lives. He changes everything. And church, we really are in a battle. We have a real spiritual enemy who's trying to tear down everything God is trying to build up. And I'll tell you this, our spiritual enemy, Satan, he's not afraid of our plans. He's not afraid of our programs. But he is terrified of our prayers. So here's what I am calling you to do. Pray. Seriously, let's pray and let's expect God to answer. And here's why, because what the Bible says is absolutely true. Would you say it with me? Three words, God is good. Let's pray. Father, you are. You are good always, all the time, in every way. You're perfect in all your ways. And God, we believe that you have good plans for us despite the evidence to the contrary. Lord, we don't see what you see. Father, we we come to you today because we need you. God, we need so many things in us to change. God, we want to be your people. We want to make an impact at home. God, we want to see our, our hearts change. We want to see our marriages change. We want to see our families change. God, we want to see our church change and grow and become the church you want us to be. God, we want to make an impact in the community. Father, we want to please you and accomplish your purpose, but we cannot do it, God, apart from prayer. There's just no way it's going to happen. So God, please, remind us that there's an urgency to this. Jesus, you call us to follow you, not tomorrow, but now, today. And God, today, as the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And Father, I pray if somebody here this morning has never made a clear decision to follow Jesus, that today would change everything. And listen, if you feel God just speaking to you this morning, then you can speak to him, and you don't have to talk out loud. In your own words, you can just say, God, I need you, and I need a new life. I need forgiveness, because God, I've done so many wrong things. So would you please do this? Would you forgive me? Because I believe Jesus died for me, for my sins, that he rose from the dead. And I want to follow him. I want a new life of purpose and power and peace and joy, God, the life that Jesus offers me. Oh, God, I I just have this sense that you're up to something. Really, God, something bigger and and better and, and greater than we can even imagine. But, Lord, please, in these 40 days, would you come and do your work here in this place? So that we will know, so that this community, so this nation, so this world will know that you're God Almighty, the Lion of Judah. And God, right now, we want to do this. We want to come to you. We want to come to your altar because your arms are open wide. Father, in your arms we find forgiveness. So, Lord, as we sing this song, I pray that we will do exactly that, that we will come to you and ask you for what we need.